Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, the podcast about board gamers and the insane fun we have at the table together. This is Chris. Hey, and this is Anthony. And this is episode 418, Board Game Geek Top 100. We like to thank all our Patreon backers for helping us bring you a brand new episode, but especially Christopher, our new backer. Thanks so much. You rock, my friend. All right, everyone. We're back and we are talking about the BGG Top 100 of, I want to say all time, but obviously recently it's been bouncing all over the place, especially the number one. So the Board Game Geek Top 100, because that's a thing, Anthony. Yeah, yeah, it is a thing. A weird thing. <laughs> and honestly, at this point, potentially a dumb thing. But it's it's worth talking about because it is the go-to discussion point. Like, there could be a New York Times article about a board game, and they will reference this list because it's really the only list, right? Like, it's the list, yeah. Yeah, it's the only crowdsourced list that has some form of admittedly kind of messy, nonsensical algorithm. Uh, it's not particularly advanced, but... It's the only way that we can kind of get a more or less objective look at what the what the crowd thinks are the best games. So we talk about this every few months when it's changed enough to talk about again. Uh, we're not we're not necessarily going to run down every single game in the top 100, but we're going to talk about things that have been moving around, where they've been moving, like what looks different mm-hmm. uh, outside of the, the big two changes at the top of the list. But yeah, it's always fun. Yeah, I think I appreciate they make an effort to even have an algorithm, although, like you said, it's admittedly a little outdated and and broken in some places. But again, considering the fact of like, what is a number one game or what is a rating for a game, especially now in these days of Kickstarter land where people rate games at 10 because they backed it. So admittedly, I think we could have a whole episode just on how they calculate those particular metrics. But that's a whole nother podcast. Right. I think I think we have to bring in some uh, some of the board game heavy math hitters for that kind of situation. But yeah, and and I guess again too because in the past we also used to take a look at and discuss review. Reddit used to have a pretty interesting top one hundred as well, and they stopped doing that. Yeah, they which did, is, which is weird because Reddit. Reddit does everything, you know, it's Reddit. I mean, I would imagine there was probably someone in charge of that. And they're like, this is a lot of work. I don't want to do it anymore. Um, (laughs) And no one wanted to step up. That's probably how it died. I I (laughs) can't imagine it was a conscious decision. No, I would almost guess so. Because again, it's it's one of those things where it's like, hey, this would be awesome. Like, yes, that would be awesome. But also work. (laughs) Yeah, so much work. work. (laughs) <laughs> but it was an interesting list because I think the Reddit list I liked a lot because it was a little more transparent and it had a lot more up and down, hot, cool kind of stuff kind of incorporated. And they did compare a lot of times to the BGG list and it wasn't radically different, but it was different. Yeah. And I and I was like, oh, that's really cool that they crowdsourced a list and it was different enough to actually produce a different top 100 and if you look back at the previous episodes, we've reviewed the Reddit list and we've compared that with BGG. So unfortunately, we don't have Reddit, but, you know, take a look, take a step back and check it out. But Anthony, before we get into our feature review, there's obviously a lot of cool stuff to talk about. And in particular, what we're doing. So I know recently uh, you got a lot of like big reactions on our Patreon account for doing a postmortem 
of all the Kickstarter games that you backed. And that took, what, 20, 30 episodes? <laughs> ah. It might. Yeah, I've done one so far. I've got too many more to go. I don't know. I probably have to do two more episodes, realistically. So. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I just like the idea, like post mortem. Like, really, there was a lot of ways you could g- gone with that, <laughs> and you went post mortem. I'm just like, oh yeah. no. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, once I started going through the list, I'm like, yeah, this is a post mortem. Like, half of these are dead or gone, or I've destroyed <laughs> them, or lost them, or given them away. <laughs> yeah. So I actually recorded one myself, and it's a lengthy episode. It's it's, it's way over an hour. But I did, I was able to include everything in that. So uh, that will be going up on Patreon. And I also wanted people to know that, and I don't know how long everyone's been listening, but way back when, Anthony, you may remember a small but plucky podcast called Kicking the Habit. Uh, It was the biggest thing in the world until, I don't know, other things happened in our lives and we had a kind of combined and yeah. 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 You you had a kid. I, I had a kid, yeah. <laughs> and, we, and, then, and, and we and we kicked you it. Were like, we were I like, don't want to run two podcasts, so <laughs> I'm just going to get rid of this one. Yeah, that's what happened. Yeah. Um, it was cool, that's though. Now, was back in the days when, like, Kickstarter campaigns, it was not – There was Ooh. it was the Wild West. There was some yes. weird stuff on there. It was. I was going to say the same thing. Yeah, and then I, I think that was the time I started editing the podcast, so my apologies yeah. for all the bad edits <laughs> early on. <laughs> I was still learning. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, in fact, when I was used to do kicking the habit, like I was still learning the software. And what I would do was I would record the whole episode straight with no edits because at back then I did not know how to edit the podcast competently. And then if I did like a, if I crashed, like if I messed up majorly, I would re-record it. So <laughs> ugh, that was, there were a lot a of painful time. days. That was yeah. really, <laughs> but nonetheless, uh, Somewhere in the internet, there are those episodes. And as Anthony said, it was the Wild Wild West because basically each and every week I was kind of reviewing, I think, like five or six games. And like five out of the six games were like illegal IP copyright infringements, you know, from like random person. It wasn't like it is now. So I am bringing that back on Patreon. And obviously there is not that level of just craziness. I know it's there. We just don't need to look at it like we did back then. It was like in our face because it was the only games on Kickstarter. And now you have legit companies producing games. So uh, on the Tuesdays when Kickstarter kicks all their games off, I know GameFound is out there. I don't know. Is Indiegogo still a thing? Is that a still a thing? I don't think so. No. All right. <laughs> Not for board games. Backer no. Kit does some stuff though. Backer Kit for sure. And then I guess Hasbro, if you really want to, right. you know. <laughs> You really want to go down I mean, that road. They they do, and then they're like, you all didn't give us enough money, canceled. <laughs> Don't you love that campaign where like they raised over a million dollars and they're like, no, not enough money. Just like, really? <laughs> Terrible. It's a lot of money for a board game. <laughs> they're like, yeah, no, we want Gloomhaven money. We want Frosthaven money. It's like, well, then make Frosthaven. What are you doing? <laughs> yeah, so uh, in between Anthony's episodes... I will do a Kickstarter kind of review, a preview, and let you know what we should kick off, which we should kick to the curb. I don't remember the other one, but I think there was another thing. So I was doing a lot of kicking back in the day. 
Yeah, yeah. <laughs> your three kick scale. I had a three kick scale. You know, it's all those years of playing soccer that finally came in handy. You know, <laughs> mom, which mom said it would never amount to anything, but fooled you, mom. I do a <laughs> podcast about kicking board games because that's a thing. <laughs> we burn them, we dodge them, we kick them. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Well, you had a, it's a theme. It's it's meta, right? It's kick. It's yeah. Kickstarter kicking. Yeah, I know. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> I think that'll be fun. And I'm going to run straight to the different things. And again, thank you all for letting us know what you would like to hear on Patreon. And definitely hitting us up on our Discord channel because we're here to produce content for all of you. So uh, we'll produce more content, get that stuff out to all of you, and hopefully that'll help you on your future purchases. All right, Anthony. So that's what's happening with us. I, I guess one of the other things, too, is um, where I just maybe a little note is we're wrapping up our call for submissions, right? Where the journal moves forward. Journal does move forward. Yeah. Yeah. So the journal submissions, it, it technically closes today when we're recording this. Although if you hear this on Monday and you're like, oh, no, I forgot. We're pretty chill. <laughs> so <laughs> just send me an email. Um, but yeah, no, we've we're wrapping up. We've got an bunch of amazing submissions and then next month we're going to go into review and it's it's happening people it's happening Yay. we're getting yeah, well, is happening mm-hmm. yeah if you like more information about submissions and or would like to know about the upcoming journal check out boardgameacademics.com and all the information's on there you could also get to it from boardgamersanonymous.com there's a link there that will take you and again we're really excited to bring you the best that's happening in tabletop gaming from researchers, uh, from academics, from gamers out there, from writers. I mean, there's so many great people doing so many great things with board games, and we're really super excited about bringing you this journal. So hold on. We'll give you updates as time goes on, but the journal moves forward. Thank you all for submitting. Again, if you haven't, Anthony is listening in through his podcast player, so just yell randomly at it, and somehow he'll know because, yeah. you know. It's a thing. It's the world's data collection. most useless superpower. I can hear you. <laughs> well, I, isn't that what they're worried about TikTok, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. So who's listening? <laughs> All right. So that's everything that's going on with us. Anthony, what's happening with our friends? What's our question of the week? Yeah, yeah. Question of the week this week is, what is the best piece of advice you've ever received related to the board gaming hobby? So... It's pretty open-ended. Lots of open-ended questions here, and uh, the answers are equally open-ended. <laughs> so um, over on the Patreon, we uh, we ask these questions, and uh, people get to answer them for a chance to win something in our weekly giveaway, or bi-weekly giveaway. Um, Whiskey Punk says, play three games three to four times before you put a final opinion on it. Games I loved on first play ended up in mediocrity. Games I wasn't a big fan of at first, I ended up loving after a few more plays. So... Basically, don't no knee-jerk reactions. Gotcha. I agree. Um, Drew <laughs> says, there's a temptation as you get into the hobby that a game is better if it is more complex. Though that is often untrue. Each person has a sweet spot of enjoyable complexity, and it is okay if you differ from others. Enjoy the games you love. Absolutely. Uh, and then over in the Discord, DeBriggs says, don't judge a game by its theme. I'm not a huge fan of wizard magician themed board games and have often veered away from them. But just mm. as recently, a gaming group I joined played Mystic Paths and I had a blast. Went as far as adding it to my collection. Um, I I agree as well. Like, that's a tough one because 
there are certain themes that I like, even if I like the game, I still find myself being like, I just don't want to mess around with Cthulhu. <laughs> like, um, Arkham Horror Card Game is brilliant. I've had, I have all the stuff up until they started rebooting it. And it's just, I never want to play it because it's thematically. But then when I do play it, I'm like, I have fun. So it's, it's like getting over that hump. Um, so I, I agree with that piece of advice. I need to do it more. Gotcha. Uh, over on the Facebook, a bunch of people left comments as well. So uh, we have Tommy says, remember why you're playing. It's about fun and socializing. Matt says, whenever possible, try before you buy. Um, uh, Jeremiah says, you do not have to own all the games. Well, you know what, Jeremiah? Whoa, 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 whoa. You are wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. We love you. Um, you can't Wait open all the games. You run out of space. Wait. No one told me that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they should have. <laughs> um, and then a friend of the show, Fed, says the best advice I got is about how to store pieces in games. Uh, first, using bead plastic bags, because not all games have bags, but pieces in sandwich bags are too big, take up too much room. Um, also mentions you don't have to buy the hotness because someone else will buy it. It's <laughs> just true. Yeah. Yeah. Where were you people when, when we started the hobby? Come on. What the heck? <laughs> I know. Like, I buy all the hotness. I got all these stupid bags. I don't know what I'm doing. There you go. But, but yeah. No, I mean, I think when we get into the hobby, sometimes you're really excited. It's a new thing. Bright eyes. Mm-hmm. Big. You're just like, you dive in. You start making random purchases and getting stuff all over the place. Um, we talked about our, a lot of this on our collection episode a couple months ago. Like, a mindset going into collecting versus just buying. Mm. Uh, I, th- I definitely recommend listening back to that, especially if you're newish to the hobby, because sure. intentionality early on can really help out later on. Like you, then you don't have to go back through in like a year, two years, three years and get rid of all this stuff that you never actually liked, but it sounded cool. Mm. So that's, that's my advice that I wish I'd received. I don't think I received much advice, but I wish I'd received that one. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a change. It's a changing landscape. I think when we first started, the hobby was obviously. I mean, it's been around for a while, the modern board gaming hobby. But as far as purchasing concern, I think there was like it's almost like comic books, right? There was like the golden age where you had like the Sid Saxon games, and you had like, I guess maybe even further back, you had your chess and checkers and your kind of just generic abstracts. But I don't know. It's a. It's it's certainly a new age. And trying to figure out what the best thing as far as like how to kind of manage all of this. I don't I'd like to say that this advice hits because it should. It's it's well worn, you know, knowledge. It just always feels it feels rough, I guess. But I, I, I think I along the side of if you I, I guess the best thing is Hmm, it's it's hard. I think games coming back into print, like do not panic. I think once upon a time there were grail games that were never going to come back, but I think we've seen this now more than ever. Games just get reprinted or rethemed. So I think it's not necessary to go crazy in a secondary market or back a Kickstarter because the game will see table time or a new life or reinvented in some sort of way. So I think you can hold out. I think the FOMO is much less of a thing than it used to be. Yeah, I would agree with that. You know, I, I know Vassal said that for a long time. And when he started saying that, it wasn't really true. So it wasn't. It was not true at all. Like Vassal's <laughs> law was just 
it was nonsense, but it, it kind of is true now because yes. of Kickstarter and because of crowdfunding and because there is so much money in bringing those old games back. Yeah, um, I think there really aren't lot- a lot of Grail games left. Yeah, I think back in the day, Drew and I, I think it was the New Year thing, and I made this wild prediction that El Grande was going to get reprinted, and it did, which was shocking because I don't think I have any superpowers, but I guess I do. And but now everything does, right? Everything gets reprinted, rethemed, you know, and the secondary market is no longer like that chokehold where you're buying that extra faction and Blood Rage for four hundred dollars, because right. even the companies are willing to just reprint a thing to make money. Right. Yeah. Well, thank you, everybody. That's awesome. Some really good advice that we wish we had right, right. back in the day, to say the least. All right. So that's everything that's going on with our friends out there. Anthony, let's talk about the stuff that we want to get to the table, because clearly we have not learned from our friends out there. What are our acquisition disorders this week? All right. Yeah. So we talked about this game a little bit last week on the Board Game Geek Hotness. Um, Galactic Renaissance is yeah. a new game from the designer of Inish christian martinez uh it's on kickstarter right now that's about 10 days left as we record so about a week when you hear this uh from matagoat and it is so like I, we're gonna keep calling it inish in space there are yes. enough differences that it's a different game i know that you don't have to tell us that that's fine <laughs> but it's funnier to say it's x in space and it is it's inish in space so <laughs> um the, the goal here is somewhat similar to Inish, right? You have your own little group of, of people. You're building a team and you're trying to explore and expand your influence, right? Um, you are going to be recruiting different specialists. They each have different abilities represented by cards. You are building a team, like cross-sectional across different factions and, and races and stuff. Um, you'll be exploring the galaxy. There's different locations you can go to. So you're traveling through all these portals to visit these you know long lost civilizations and different planets and then you're trying to expand your influence with your little miniature guys um so you send out your emissaries and you kind of build these relationships throughout the the galaxy uh and so within each of those mechanics there are a lot of similarities but they are all slightly different like looking through the game like and that's good i'm glad because it is tough when a game comes out like this especially from a designer of a game that was, you know, it's been out for years and they're just like, Oh yeah, no, it's, it's the same thing, but in space, but we tweaked a few things that people didn't like. And you're like, Oh, okay. I guess that's good. Um, (laughs) I don't know what I think about that. Uh, In this case, you know, it's somewhere in between, right? It's a little bit more, it's a little bit more different than like a, Gaia Project of Terra Mystica, but it's not like a completely, completely different game. It's a spiritual successor. Um, it's very pretty, right? You have all these different miniatures. The artwork is fantastic. Um, the I, I don't know if it's the same artist or not as Inish. I'm just checking, taking a look now. I know Inish has multiple artists on it, but it has a very distinct art style mm-hmm. that I really liked. This seems same. to be a different artist. But the, the look is still good, right? Like, it has some of the pastelliness that we've been seeing a lot of sci-fi games lately, but it's not like hardcore pastel, right? Sure. Um, I don't know what we should call that, like pastel core, but yeah, there you go. There's a lot of it lately. It's and so space. There's a lot of different ways you can do it. It can be very clean and dark. It can be very clean and bright. It can be kind of grungy and gross. Um, this seems to be like a little bit of all three, right? Where there's color and there's interesting things and it's exciting 
but then also you're finding a lot of dirty, old, gross, broken things. So that's kind of my favorite version of space, like almost like a cowboy bebop kind of aesthetic sure. um, yeah. where there's a lot going on. So it looks cool. I am tempted to back it. They're claiming that they're giving you like a $60 or 60 euro discount on MSRP. So um, <laughs> to check the math on that, but that seems pretty good uh, for a Kickstarter campaign. Um, and I really like Inish a lot. So but my only holdback on this is that I don't get a ton of, I don't get that game to the table very often. It's yeah. group dependent. It's time dependent. Um, the rules are a little tricky. And this one looks like it could fall in that same bucket. Uh, so I don't know. But I I, I really want to play it for sure. And then it's just a matter of like, do I think someone else will get it? Or should I just back it? And then I have it in case, you know, I have the group for it in the future. So mm. uh, Galactic Renaissance on Kickstarter now. It is, again, another week or so. And it is not too terribly stupid expensive you can i think the all-in for this is 100 euros plus shipping um which compared to a lot of other games on kickstarter right now is pretty darn good the (laughs) the new stuff on phil games costs more than that and those are remakes of old games so burn (laughs) burn indeed yes that's that's like my bar now like is it better deal than that yeah of course it is (laughs) jeez um, that's, a, that's a low bar my friend that's yeah, a I low know. bar <laughs> yeah. yeah and shipping's dumb because of course it is but it's shipping it's not, is really <laughs> it's it's not more obscene than anybody else so galactic renaissance everybody on kickstarter now i i you know there's a co- look there's companies that just produce I, I don't even know what I want to say. I don't want to say better. I don't want to say like the best games or like, let's say just the most successful games, right? There are just companies out there. that are just like the monolith of like board game publishers. And then there's like the second or third tier class companies that are just out there. And a lot of these European publishers and designers out there, I've always loved Matago. I just, there's something about that company and the one I'll talk about in a minute that I just I have a there has a, a special place in my heart. They're, they just do something different. They swing. They 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 take those broad swings for the fences. They don't always work, and they're they're kind of hard to find. But they sincerely try to create something original and fresh and cool. And this again, this looks kind of like that again. So I'm I'm pretty happy that it's something out there now yeah. again kind of inishious <laughs> not that we're not saying that yeah i mean it's it's dudes spreading out and interacting with each other on kind of a modular map and so i guess it has this... a lot in common in that way but it's it's not you're not all working towards a singular objective like an inish there's a lot more going on sure it's the victory points kind of thing can you collect you know the maximum victory points needed for the game but again is this the i don't i don't want to necessarily use like the terra mystica to the Gaia project is that the new thing like do a cool fantasy thing and then like if that does or doesn't work go to space and just do that know. again yeah I, like I feel like this is more than that but also is that at the same time right so like recently we also saw like dwellings of Elder Vale kind of yeah. morph into Andromeda's Edge uh-huh and that definitely felt like a Terra Mystica to Gaia project this one feels like the game is different enough that it's not quite that, but it's the same time. It's like the designer himself going from like, all right, well, 
I want to do something in space based, you know, similar mm. ideas. So maybe, um, I don't have a problem with that. I think it's cool. I, yeah. It just makes, makes it so I have to decide which version to own. Cause I have limited space and I'm not going to own both, but. He's, he's going to own both body audience. I, I'm not, I'm not getting it's, dwellings. I just have no room for it. <laughs> All right. So if you do have a spare copy of dwellings, I'll take it then. I'll take it off Anthony's hands. I'm just saying. Yeah. Man, go for it, out man. there. <laughs> <laughs> I want to have the little bases that make the little monster sounds. <laughs> yeah, they're very cool. <laughs> I never had a never had a game that did that before. I know they're completely ridiculous. Don't don't at me. I'm just saying. <laughs> just... I like toys. It's fine. <laughs> Look, there's 400 episodes about toys. So come on. Come on. Yeah, yeah. Come on, people. We're not hiding anything. <laughs> no, no, no. No, no. All right. Well, speaking of toys, I guess I can't get away with this now. Uh, yeah, it's a game about toys because I don't know. Like I said, I I love Matago. I, I since there's like there's like three companies that I really love just because they are like the indie rock of like board games. Matago is one of them. Uh, you know, Eagle Griffin is kind of one, although they're getting bigger and bigger thanks to thanks to Lacerda. And the third one is Gale Force Nine. And Gale Force Nine I love because. Unlike some other companies, the the bigger ones, they really, truly, sincerely like love the IPs that they have, and they typically do something different than, I guess, what the traditional bigger companies would do. It's not always successful. Like I said, like Matico, they swing for the fences, and this game is Star Trek Away Mission. So you have either stopped listening because you're not a Star Trek fan, or you're you're a hundred percent on board, but. If you're still on board for one more second, hold on, because basically what it is is you get to play with Star Trek toys because it's it's a skirmish game in which you are doing, you know, missions and objectives and things like that. And it's two factions fighting against each other. And it's all set in the next generation era. And basically the initial core box is the Federation. And in this case, if you remember, again, this is getting a little too deep into Star Trek lore, so I don't want to alienate anyone else no pun intended but there's a part in the star trek series of the next generation spoilers here you know where picard gets taken over by the borg and then he so he has a team evil scary kind of team and then Riker has a team and they battle and on a little map because it's a skirmish game (laughs) so what's really cute about this is actually the miniatures they're really well done. They're a little on the cartoony side, yeah. but they're highly, <laughs> but I still think they're highly recognizable for the characters that they are. Again, these are pictures. These are not necessarily like actual playable figures that we're seeing in front of us, but basically each of the characters in play have special abilities and you have to meet certain missions and conditions. And again, what's fun about this is because you get to play with more toys because there's also two other expansions coming out. There's a Klingon expansion, a Romulan expansion. And again, not to deep <laughs> dive too deep, but Gauron's house is here. So if you know what Gauron is, who Gauron is, Emperor of the Klingon Empire, he's here. He's got a faction. And then Celsa's faction's here for the Romulans. Again, if you know that kind of deep. If you don't, you might like to play with little action figures to do skirmish battles with high-quality minis, with some mission stuff, and, you know, they'll be coming out in July. This looks like almost like Lower Decks aesthetic. It's close. It's, it's not... It's weird. 
it's close. Yeah, I'll give you that. It's close. It's not it's not super cartoony, but like they try to it's I think there's some I I look, they're not, you know, tainted grail miniatures, but these are not board game quality. Like this this is a little bit better than that. They're not like Yeah. Yeah. Generic. It, I don't have a problem with it. It's just a weird look. It's not based on anything. They're just like, let's take this in a different direction than anything else that's ever come out for Star Trek. It's weird. Yeah. And that's what I'm saying with Gale Force 9, that they typically do that kind of stuff, that they really try yeah. to... They have a different aesthetic. They have a different gameplay style. Some of the stuff works. They have Doctor Who, which is hit and miss in some cases. They have Aliens, which has been pretty successful. And they have the Star Trek license, like Ascendancy and things like that. So... If you like Star Trek, you will certainly take a look at this, especially if you like the TNG era of Star Trek. If you're not a Star Trek fan, and maybe you just like to play with a bunch of like little miniatures that may or may not be cool, it's worth checking out. And that'll be out in some point, some point in July, probably August, more likely. But uh, August is Gen year. Con, yeah, yeah, Gen that's Con what probably. I'm thinking. Mm-hmm. All right, so those are all the games that we want to hit the table, despite knowing better. Anthony, <laughs> let's get on to the games that did hit the table. What you play this week? I played Your Best Life from WizKids. My yeah. Best Life, yay! Yeah. It's it's a it's a sweet little game. Um, so this is a new one from WizKids, uh, releasing pretty soon. <laughs> I don't mm-hmm. know when it's coming out, but it's not out quite yet. Uh, designed by Yaniv Kahana, and it is a flip and write game. So you have a whole bunch of different decks of cards, and you have like your sheets of paper, multiple sheets of paper that you're working with. And you are writing out your life story. Ooh. Yeah. So based on all these different decks of cards and all these different symbols, you are going to write out your life story on these sheets of paper. Um, The interesting thing about the game, and there's a few things that are interesting, right? It is a life building game, right? So like pursuit of happiness type of theme. Um, But you can play it by yourself or you can play it as a couple. Where you work together and kind of coordinate to do different things. And there are certain actions that you'll take as a couple that require you to work together. Like having children will require each of you to spend time, right. Mm. Um, And resources. So they kind of give that option there. And it's not really clear if the game was designed one way or the other, I would imagine it was designed for couples in mind, but both play just fine. So it's just a matter of like keeping track of more stuff. If you're playing alone, Um, And you can play alone, alone, just solo too. So it it goes up to eight players. Um, The gameplay itself is fairly straightforward. You have multiple different decks of cards that represent all sorts of different things. You have actions that you can take. There's background, personal goals, shared goals for the couples, um, children for single players and children for couples, again, because the requirements are different. Um, Post the story and vacation. So like different elements of things you would do. Uh, You also have to like manage a stress track. So the stress track can go in the wrong direction or can go in the right direction. Uh, You kind of have to manage that. If it goes too far to the right, you're going to lose points. If it goes too far to the left, you're going to gain points. So you can have happiness versus like meltdown effectively. Um, You also have like these personal goals and shared goals that you're going to work with that you're trying to achieve on your throughout the game. Um, as far as how it all looks laid out from there, it is fairly abstracted, right? So like your sheet is, as you'd expect in any kind of flip and write, like a bunch of little boxes and symbols that you're going to be checking off, right? So, and it, they have little pictures on there. There's like birds and like things representing your life. And 
the artwork's very simplistic, but, you know, bright and colorful and interesting to look at. But you're not really engaging with things that represent life as much, except on the cards themselves as they kind of come up. Um, there are a whole bunch of different symbols. So like the actions themselves, you have like, health, knowledge, social, money, time, and good luck. Got to keep track of all of that. And then there's additional symbols that represent relaxation, stress, happiness, balance, opportunity, and joy. So it is a symbol-heavy game. It's a iconography-heavy game. Um, and like any flip and write, you are like trying to manage and chain stuff together, right? So like as you check off boxes in your education track, you want that to reflect in your career track, but also not let other tracks get too low or don't go too far in that career track that might increase your stress too much. Like there's a lot to, to manage here without it becoming like overly complex. Um, I would say in terms of like flip and write games, it's probably smack in the middle in terms of complexity. It's not, it's not like up there with like your twilight inscriptions, right? Which take two hours and there's a lot to keep track of. And you have four sheets that you're constantly working with, but it's not like, a very basic like welcome to type of thing either that takes 15 20 minutes and you knock it out and it's relatively straightforward there are multiple decks of cards there's lots of things lying on this table lots of different actions available to you to take and you kind of have to manage and balance not all of it like any good flip and right roll and right you you can kind of specialize a little bit but enough of it otherwise you're not going to do very well um i don't know how i felt about it because i like a good flip and right I like when they're a little more complex without being overly complex. but And the game is very thematic in as much as a game like this can be, where it tries to give you, like, you have a background and you have these goals that you're working towards and you have to, um, you know, advance in certain tracks based on your goals and it kind of pushes you in a certain direction, right? So if you have a personal goal to become a doctor, you obviously need to move up in the knowledge track, right, to, to achieve that. But at the same time, at the end, it really just be, kind of becomes a number crunching thing. You're like, I need this track to go up. I need this track to stay <laughs> here. I need this track to go over here. Like, it's a flipping, right? Right? Like, you're trying to manage numbers on tracks. Yeah. Um, which I, is kind of the thing that turns some people off on these types of games. Mm -hmm. um, I generally like that, though. And this one, for whatever reason, didn't quite click with me as much as I would have liked. And I think it's probably just because it's super fiddly. Like, sure. if you look at this game set up on the table, there are multiple decks of cards. There's the river of cards. There's all the different sheets you have in front of you. Um, like, there's the, you know, your family sheet plus your own personal best life sheet plus the goals that you've drawn. Uh, there's dice that are rolled to reflect different things that can happen and stress, like how much stress you're going to gain from different things. So there's a lot to keep track of. And... I just doesn't feel like it quite gels in terms of the complexity and the payoff that you get from that. But I like the idea so much. Like, and the idea that you can play like as a couple is so cool. Like I would love to see this in more games because it's, it's a clever mechanic and they use it. Like, it's not just like, Oh, you can play together and one person manages this half and one person manages this half. It's like, no, you will put together your best life, but then you have a family sheet where you have to kind of coordinate and work together to achieve those goals because mm. that's what it's like, right? You can sure. go 
live your career and have your hobbies and do all your stuff. But if you're not working together with your partner on that family sheet, then life's not going to be good. <laughs> so uh, I thought it was a really cool idea and it works really well. Um, I just wish I liked the actual mechanical part of it as, as much. Um, sure. I don't hate it. It's just, it's not up there for me in terms of like a flip and right. I would play repeatedly. So it's a play for me, like a light play. I'll probably hold on to it, but um, it's not, it's not top tier. Like I had really high hopes when I started playing this. I'm like there's some really cool ideas here. This is such a clever thing. And at the end of the day, it is just check this box, check this box, manage this box, check this box. Here's a bunch of icons. Use these icons. Efficient. <laughs> yeah. You know, the drill, Chris, you'd hate this, except the theme would be cool and you'd find that cool. And then the mechanics, yeah. what they are. <laughs> so. Yeah. I mean, like we, like, this is your life. It's a flipping right. Ah, this is a horrible life. <laughs> no, I don't yeah. want to. I don't want to write anything down in my life. I, just, <laughs> I don't want to be flipping things. Yeah. Themat- like you said, thematically, I appreciate this. Like the I, more games need to be this because so, I mean, we all have either close relationships, partners, lifelong partners, hopefully. And like games can help, you know, facilitate, develop, strengthen those kind of relationships Actually, um, our friend Dave, and uh, he was talking about this, like, you know, the idea of playing games with his wife and just how that, you know, started his relationship uh, and strengthened it throughout. And I think thematically we need more of this. Now, when I was recently doing my Kickstarter postmortem, one of the games that I did re- did talk about was something I did back on Kickstarter and it's like dot, dot, dot. And then they held hands. Mm. And I was really stoked about that because that was the first time I had seen a game that was like like a designer-driven game that was about two players playing a couple relationship kind of situation. This is before Fog of Love came out. Right. And the game means well, but the game typically more or less because it needs to be a game kind of distracts from the thematic appeal of it right because like you said then it eventually just comes down to like needing symbols right. <laughs> and it just like it, it's broken as far as the thematic kind of integration but again you don't want something that's just not a game that's just a game experience which is just also not good right yeah, so yeah i think this game with the couple version and when working on those family goals it works sure it's just too often you end up skewing towards the part where that's not what you're doing. Like if they could purely focus on that, like a between two cities style cooperative work together on this middle thing. I don't know what that looks like. And that's not what this game is. So I'm not saying this game should be that, but I think it should. Cause yeah, maybe it should, but I mean, if that's the strongest version of this and that provides a different twist on it, because again, I'm not mad. It's just there's a lot of flipping rights and there's a lot of right rolling right games. Like do something. I yeah. just want something a little different as far as what my games are providing. Yeah, I, I feel like if you could get a whole table of just couples together, this game might sing in that situation. Okay. So like it's one of the reasons I'm holding on to it because I want to be able to try that. Like get four couples at a table. Just you know, full transparency. I did not do before this review because I just don't sure. have wasn't able to do that. But you know, it tells you you can play alone. It also tells you you can play a mix. And I just don't think it works quite as well in that sense. Gotcha. All right. Cool. Yeah. I mean, I'm glad that 
I'm glad that they went the extra effort there. I appreciate that. Um, on the opposite side, I guess, I played one of the heaviest, I guess, at least Uwe Rosenberg games that are out there. I played Caverna. Uh, Caverna is currently up on Board Game Arena, and as Anthony kind of alerted me, you can also play it solo, which I think is a lot of fun, because when you play the heavy, and not necessarily heavy heavy, but when you play like the sprawling kind of heavy games where you need to like visualize multiple boards and there's a lot of things like a lot of things are updating and accounting for it's really nice to be able to get the run through of this so anthony and i've talked about caverna for many years i bought i guess the copy when it came out it was a crazy expensive at least back in the day it was 90 dollars. like oh my god why would you pay 90 dollars for a board game that's insane <laughs> who would do that no one would ever do that such, damn it such an innocent uh, time <laughs> But I did, and again, it came with like $90 worth of content because it did come with all the endless number of animeeples, and it was just a great game. It was well worth the price. Again, I don't know what it would cost today. Maybe I know the it's still around that price, but if they release it on Kickstarter, it'd probably be a $200 game mm-hmm. at this point. I guess if you consider the new Agricola, they recently came out, whatever it was, the 15-year anniversary edition, which is like crazy expensive for no particular reason. So. Yeah. Let's talk about Caverna. Anthony loves Caverna. I'm not talking about Agricola, so no hate here. Yeah. Right? We're, We're the talking same about Caverna. Here. Caverna, all good. Uh, you know, Caverna is your K-Farmers, and it's a worker placement game, and its focus is primarily on f- farming, but it lets you do something different than the traditional Agricola, so it's not just about producing croups and dealing with animals. You also have an actual cave that you're able to dig out and build a home. So just like Agricola, you build like your little house, here you're building a cave, which is a little more dynamic. I, I like the cave structure better than I like the house structure. Almost when you play Agricola, you're almost like suffering. Again, I know it's misery farming, but you're almost suffering with the fact that like it never seems like you're going to be able to build your house. And your house infringes on your farmland, which again is also thematically cool, but also painful. Here, the cave is its own thing. And because Caverna is really well known for the fact that like, where Agricola, you will get punished and killed if you don't do everything. Here in Caverna, you only get kind of tweaked if you don't do at least one of everything, like one of every animal or something like that. But Caverna allows you to have a wide market of, you know, dwellings and special buildings that you could put into your cave, which will allow you to create your own engine and your own victory point machine. So no longer is it like you have to just produce animals and food. Here you could produce literally everything that's in the game. It could be rubies. It could be stone. It could be wood. Everything's going to score, again, depending on the number of players in the game because all the tiles are out there and available if you're playing with all the players. Less players, less tiles, obviously. So less options. So if you can, even though it does take a long time, I would recommend playing with the larger player count because it does give you more options in the game and it makes the game a lot more fun. So basically you have your two dwarves, they go out there and again, work replacement style. They, they're getting resources so that you can do things, especially building and farming. But Caverna also has this mechanic, which it kind of loosely defines as like going out and foraging, but it's weapon. <laughs> the, the icons are weapon based. So it's like, I don't know if you're foraging as more, more as like ransacking and pillaging. So, <laughs> and you have a special chart where you'll be able to get resources based on the level of, of, you know, 
military upgrade that your dwarf has. So again, it offers a really cool kind of mechanic where almost every worker placement game wants you to get more workers. But here, you could stick with your two workers and just upgrade them to be like the greatest warriors ever and forage uh, <laughs> stuff to fill and, uh, you know, populate and, never, and do everything else that you need. So there is... There's a balance, and even the game itself says, like, hey, if everyone else has, like, multiple, you know, dwarves and is focusing on getting a lot of workers, and one person is just going off and just using its two workers, that person's going to win because they have those spots kind of open just to them generally. So the game has some really cool tension. You could do both things. It's not just one thing or the other. This game's a lot of fun. I, I like this game a lot. It's one of those games that keeps me coming back because, again, it has different things. I don't always have to mine for rubies. I could also do any number of other things. I could focus just on getting any kind of animals and plants. Later on, they had a couple of mini expansions that came out that gave you some additional rooms. That was really fun. I really appreciated. They also had an expansion, which was Caverna the Forgotten Folk, which allows you to start your you know, cave off with a particular, you know, I guess, folk species. So it could have been elves, dwarf elves. It could be trolls. It could be any number of different mythical creatures that kind of start you off. And then they have different gameplay rules for those. Recently, they came out or coming out with uh, Caverna Frantic Fiends, which is kind of a different take on this. It's basically an additional board or additional level kind of module that comes into play, which allows you to deal with orcs because i guess tolkien right so orcs are in play here and basically they're going to mess with your stuff steal your stuff and your job is to trap them to you know air quotes you know i guess forge them away from this life to the next life uh or bribe them based on using resources that you have in the game so haven't played that expansion yet have played the other expansions Still loving Caverna, still a great game, whether you play it online, which I kind of recommend because I think BGA did a good uh, implementation here, or you're playing in person, which I highly recommend. The highly, even though it's a table hog, I think the physical presence and play and visualization of it is the best version of that game. So yeah, Caverna still gets a buy for me. Oh yeah, same here. Um such a great game it's funny though it's it's a weird one for i guess for us in particular because it's like probably each of our number two right for <laughs> yeah. your rosenberg games yes but then the number ones don't overlap at all go go watch yeah. our rosenberg tier list to, to know what we're talking about <laughs> um but it is amazing i think we can agree on that absolutely all right so that's all the games hitting our table this week anthony let's get to our feature review which again is the Board Game Geek Top 100 Games. It's come down from the mountain. We're all supposed to praise it and look at it. It's a thing. It's big. It's important. It's powerful. It's the Top 100. <laughs> yeah. It's it's a funny thing. Like, I wasn't aware of this when I first got into the hobby. I think that my first awareness of it was we were playing Seven Wonders at Myriad, and you said, oh, this is, like, one of the top games of all time. I'm like, based on what? <laughs> Like, and you can't very just skeptical say that, that based on what, and then you're like, "Oh, this thing." I'm like, "Oh, cool." Um, and then since then, I've been obsessed with it. So we don't. I mean, I don't think it's a particularly complex formula they use, but we don't know what it is, and we're not the types of people to tell you. And I don't want y'all telling me I'm wrong. So <laughs> all I know is 
it's loosely based on the ratings people give it, the number of people who've played it, and the recency of the game and the, and the plays. And they have some adjustments in there for things like excessive tens and ones, although those adjustments are not capable of keeping the manipulation out of the ratings completely. Sure. So it's basically if a game has been around for a while, has a ton of plays and owners and has a high rating on average, it will rank highly on this list. Sure. Um, and it tends to like benefit more like older game, not even older, but like games that have been out for a little bit, like a year or two that have a very dedicated following. So like Kickstarter releases or like heavy euros. And then the people love those which we've seen recently with Brass Birmingham jumping up to number one. So it's always really fascinating to look at the list because like lighter gamers are always like, what is this list? It's nonsense. And the heavier gamers just argue with each other, uh, with each other over which games should be higher. I always find it funny. Again, it's one of those things where it does have some significant gravity in the industry. And since Board Game Geek, the website is so big that if people are Googling things, like as far as top 100 is concerned, I know we come up pretty high, but it's it's why it's it's oftentimes why people make their purchases. Yeah. Oh, 100%. Yeah. Especially early on. You just go down this list. You're like, that looks cool. I don't know what else to buy. These look cool. Um, so what we're going to do, because again, we're not going to write down the whole top 100. That would be a whole nother hour on the podcast. But We'll kind of go through maybe like 10 at a time and just look at what's there, maybe what's newish and what we don't know what's fallen off because we, have, we haven't dug down to the second level. But there are some interesting things here always to talk about. Absolutely. So, Anthony, uh, I guess we should start with 100 and work our way up to the most controversial top 100 tie. Yeah. Yeah. So the that. Bottom 10 of the top 100, like number 100 through 91. There are some classics in here uh, that have been on the list for a while. So Dominion Intrigue at 99. We have Kalis at 94. Battlestar Galactica, 93. Keyflower, 92. El Grande, 91. Like these are games that have been on the list for a many, many years. Sure. Um, what I find interesting, though, of course, is we have like Lord of the Rings Journeys in Middle Earth, that mm-hmm. app based exploration game for. Lord of the Rings at number 100. Um, Mombasa is still in the top 100 and maybe wasn't even on here for a while and jumped back on. I think it was. Yeah, I think it was off. And then I think the recent release of Sky Mines brought it back. Yeah, which I find fascinating because you can't buy Mombasa. It's been out of print for a long time um, and not that many people own it. So I don't know if it's like a reactionary thing as we tend to see here. <laughs> um Raiders of the North Sea at 97, Decrypto at 96, which I find fascinating. That's, you know, a party game, but like a little more complex one. Um, Sure. And then the Search for Planet X is a game I've never played, but I've heard good things about, but it's at 95. Mm -hmm. Like it's kind of climbed its way up into the top 100, which is kind of cool. Yeah, that's kind of confusing to me. Again, of like the top 100, which tends to be, like you said, the kind of like the games that, but they move a lot. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's it's O'Malley and Rossett. They make good games. Uh, yeah. It's from Renegade and Foxtrot. Also make mm-hmm. good games. So it's just kind of like a slow burner, I guess. Mm. Um, so yeah, so you, you kind of like, especially at the bottom of this list, you tend to get a lot of variation. Yeah. 
like new stuff that's kind of bumped into it, older stuff that's kind of fallen down the list. Like I guarantee El Grande and Keyflower used to be much higher on this list. Oh, absolutely. Um, so the, the next batch of 10, uh, a similar mix, but I, I think it skews a little newer. So we have Architects of the West Kingdom at 90. We have Obsession at 89, which is great. I'm, I'm glad to see Obsession on the top 100. That's really cool. Yeah. Um, and a lot, Tainted- and you can, and I'm sorry, you can see a lot of these games where they're independent designers, and it's a one kind of shot, and it's amazing to see them in the top 100. I think that's just it's it's a beautiful thing. It's it's really nice that again we we kind of criticize the algorithm, but it's great that it caught that. Yeah, yeah, and like that one was a game that we were shouting the praises of Forever. almost immediately. Yes, right? <laughs> um, and it it was uh, shut up and sit down kind of giving their rave review of it that kind of pushed it over the edge and people were like hunting it down and trying to get copies and it jumped in the top 100. Yes. And I'm happy that happened because it's well worth it. True, true. Um, 88 is Tainted Grail, The Fall of Avalon. This is yet another one of those Awaken Realms games. Awaken Realms is one of those companies that's like kind of quietly starting to take over the top 100. So mm-hmm. <laughs> they have a few games on here. Um, none of which I've played, unfortunately, but it's interesting to see like how because sometimes those Kickstarter games, they get on here and then they fall down because the people who initially backed it all backed it. They all put in their ratings at once and then not that many more people do. But these ones kind of keep moving. Sure. Uh, 87 Beyond the Sun. Uh, 86, The Seventh Continent. Sure. 85 is an old school classic. Dominion, Dominant Species, not Dominion. That's coming in later. Ooh. Um, Seven Wonders is this used to be a top 10 game. It's down to 84, which is crazy to me. Yeah. Lords of Waterdeep at 83. Voyages of Marco Polo at 82. Robinson Crusoe Adventures on the Curse Island at 81. Any yeah. major surprises there for you? No. I mean, these are games that we reviewed and played way back in the day. I mean, some of these are... I mean, they're about a decade old in some cases. And... I'm really glad that they they found an audience and have kept an audience because again, like you do have your games like Tainted Grail, which are just like the production is like off the chart. Like we haven't seen anything like that. They got the Kickstarter, you know, bounce and bump and everything like that. No hate against Tainted Grail, great game, but like the idea that Robinson Crusoe, The Voyages, Waterdeep, you know, Seven Wonders, like again, they were higher back in the day, but still really great that they're here. Dominant Species, yeah. of course, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and like one of the things too, like if you're like looking at this list and trying to figure out what you want, that I encourage you to do is don't just look at the ranking, look at the number of votes. Yes. That it gets, right? Because some of these games, we'll talk about a couple, don't have that many. It's just all the people who rated it gave it a 10, right? So sure. it bumps it up the list a little bit. And that doesn't mean it's bad. It just means it's more niche, right? It doesn't have as broad of an audience. And if you don't know what you like yet, buying a game like that can be might be great. It might be a big mistake. It's hard to know. Yeah. Like you'll take a look at number 80 versus number 81, number 80. We're looking at like 18,000 votes, but number 81 has 40,000 votes. Yeah. Yeah. It's such a big difference. Yeah. Um, and why it access game Algorithm. Type, age of the game, right? Mm-hmm. Robinson Crusoe is six years older than Teotihuacan, which is number 80. Mm-hmm. Um, and Teotihuacan is a medium, weight euro which has a much more limited audience than a cooperative game mm-hmm. sure so speaking of 80 like we said we got teotihuacan city of gods uh i expect this to kind of move up higher 
assuming they don't mess up the Kickstarter Deluxe Edition that they're doing. Sure. Like a bunch of people are going to give them a lot of money and get that game in and rate the heck out of it. So that's going to happen. It's a great game. And like you said, it's somehow probably missed some people. So the Kickstarter will take care of that. Oh, yeah. Um, 79 is Cthulhu Death May Die. I I didn't Mm -hmm. realize this was so high, but I've heard good things. I just, again, I don't like Cthulhu, so I'm just not going to play it. (laughs) (laughs) Don't let Cthulhu hear you say that, man. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Uh, Fields of Arl, 78 from Uwe Rosenberg. Great, great game, but only two or three players, which definitely limits its reach. Sure. Um, we have a couple of games here. Like you'll notice on this list, sometimes you have two versions of a game, and I really wish they would fix this because it drives I hate me nuts. That. I really hate it. I'm sorry. Because yeah. like you got me a poster at one point, which was the BGG Top 100, where you mark off what you've played. Yeah. And it'll have like War of the Rings Second Edition. Well, of course, I've played that. And then First Edition. <laughs> I'm like, I will never play that. <laughs> Why would I play that just to mark it off on my sheet? Yes. Uh, yes that's it. Drives me crazy. <laughs> so anyways, through the ages, the old version is at number 77, um, mm-hmm. which is still brilliant. It's just a new age. A new story is much higher. That's all. Yes. And it's better. Um, yeah. Agricola revised edition. The 2016 edition is at 76. Um, again, again, same, same, same deal. Yep. Five tribes. 75 clank 74 aeons end at 73 which is a great game to have on here and a part of this i think is that they just release so much content for it mm-hmm. um they keep releasing new stuff every year race for the galaxy at 72 classic uh, yet another example of an old version of a better game eclipse first edition at 71 weird i know just Not like fan. take it out of the list if there's a newer version that ranks higher that's all as long it as just... the newer version ranks higher drop the other one out it just keeps space away from other games that could get that that kind of recognition. And yeah. I mean, the designers are should be cool with it. I don't. I mean, I don't know. Look, I mean, that's a whole other episode, I guess. I, yeah, like, I don't know. How how different is it? Is it or is it so different that it needs its own thing? I don't know. It yeah. It I I never understood that logic of when Board Game Geek decides something gets a new entry versus just updating the old one. Because sometimes they do actually just like, you know, squeeze them all into the same thing, which, again, is is problematic because now you're trying to find a thing. You're like, oh, there's different editions under the same heading. I think they should just I honestly I think they should just retire them, give them their own list Mm -hmm. like Eclipse. You know, the highest rank it hit was this and it's retired at that rank. Like it's Mm -hmm. there's a new edition now. Yeah. Yeah. You can't find the old one. It's out of print. The better the new one is objectively better. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Just keep it, but just put it in a different list. Like you know, Hall of Fla- Hall of Fame, classic retired. It's just it clutters. It clutters, my yeah. friend. So much clutter. All right, moving on to the next chunk. We've got seventy as Azul, brilliant game. Uh, Azul, <laughs> sixty nine Grand Austria Hotel. This is one hundred percent because of the expansion. I think so. yes. Uh, Android Netrunner holding strong at 68. It used to be higher, but it's out of print now. But it's Much it's a brilliant game. I wish somehow they could figure out a way to bring it back. Gotcha. Uh, Kingdom Death Monster at 67. This used to be a lot higher too, but yes, it still has less than 10,000 votes despite it's, an average rating of 8.5. So it's just not enough people have played it. It's too expensive, unfortunately. Too expensive. Like, would love to play it, but yeah. Uh, Paladins of the West Kingdom at 66. The Gallerist, my second favorite Lisboa adjacent Lacerda game um, at 65. 
Mechs versus Minions still holding strong on the top 100. Love this. Number 64. That's amazing. That's crazy. Yeah. Uh, 63 is Star Wars Imperial Assault. I love that this is still here because this has been out of print now for like three years. Like you can't get all this. I mean, they overprinted it. You can find the stuff, but it's it's uh, they're not making it anymore. Mm-hmm. Lahav 62. And then the Quacks of Quedlinburg, number 61 from 2018. This game jumped into the top 100 pretty quickly. I feel like it's been slowly inching its way up, too. Yeah, they just the new big box kind of helped, too, I'm sure. Yeah, 41,000 votes on that one. Lots and lots of players of Quacks. Yep. Uh, next match, we have yet another Lacerda game. There's a bunch of these on here. Uh, we have two, actually, in this chunk. Uh, Kanban EV at 60 and Lisboa at 57. So, and honestly, I think that's the right order, <laughs> I would say. Okay. Uh, if you're going from the Galaris to Kanban to Lisboa, I'm okay right. with that order. Uh. Clans of Caledonia at 59. Uh, this is just such a great little game, and they have new content coming for it soon, which is amazing. Sleeping Gods at 58. I'm so, This one does not have a lot of ratings, but mm-hmm. it jumped up pretty high. I think the I think this is I I played this. It's like you love it or you don't play it. I think we we see we've talked about that a lot in these game on this like, right. top one hundred list. Like this is an expensive involved game and it's only meant for a certain group, and that's what has landed it here. Because I think if other people play it or you know general audiences, I don't think it's this high. Yeah, I would agree. Yeah, same as Kingdom Death because like, only 7,600 votes. Oh yeah. Like, it's yeah, a much smaller audience. <laughs> uh, the crew, the quest for Planet Nine is at fifty six, but the newer version of this is higher. So another one mm-hmm. of those instances. Sure. Um, Power Grid at fifty five. This is another game that used to be in the top ten, but just you know, there's so yeah. many good games out there. Zolkin at fifty four. Crokinole is my favorite entry on the top one hundred <laughs> because it is a hundred and fifty years old, but it's at number fifty three. <laughs> so, gotcha. Um, the first of the Pandemic Legacies, Season Zero, is at number 52. And then these Alexander Fister games, I don't know how he does it, but he gets know. them up here. 51 is Maracaibo. Yeah, I don't. It doesn't make much sense. So yeah. right. I like Maracaibo more than you, but I still wouldn't put it in the top 100. So Yeah, that's the thing. Like, I'm not against the game. Like, I, it's, yeah, it's fine. It's a fine. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's just too long. Better um, with the expansion, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. That definitely adds a lot. Uh, so it, moving into this, the top half, the top 50, we have The Mansions of Madness 2nd Edition at number 50, Pandemic Legacy Season 2 at 49. Um, some really recent ones that I love. Uh, Cascadia at 48 and On Mars at 47. So this is, Yeah, On Mars is being this high is really surprising compared to his other sort of games out there. Yeah, On Mars is objectively brilliant it's just so complex but like thematically it works so well um which is part of the reason i think his newest game is not as high mm. uh anachrony at 46 it's a high concept high reward and then we have the the original version of agricola still ranks higher than the revised at 45 <laughs> um blood rage at 44 underwater cities 43 and then caverna which you talked about today at 42 yay <laughs> Uh, Puerto Rico at one time was the number one game on here. It's down to 41, but it's wow. still in the top 100, and I can't see it going anywhere. Yeah. Uh, moving on to the next match, we have uh, a lot of newer games here. PAX Premier 2nd Edition at 40. 
Marvel Champions, the card game, has gotten up to 39 at this point, which is amazing. Crazy. Uh, Too Many Bones at 38. Uh, Great Western Trail, second edition. And this is, I think the first Uh, edition is still higher. It's at 37. Weird. Why? No, stop doing this stuff. This is, I, we all love what we love and we respect it. But this is that one game where every time I look at it, I'm like, how is this so highly rated? I don't. But like two editions of it. I know. Yes. Two editions in the top 50. And there'll be more because there's new versions of this coming out. Like Argentina and like New Zealand. There's going to be some sheep. Yep. So Food Chain Magnet. uh, Splatter. Number 36. Uh, 35 is Mission Deep Sea for the crew. So again, both versions on here. Deep Sea is better. So if you're going to get one, get that. It's a better game. Agreed. Um, Barrage moved up to 34. Despite the early bad ratings, like... This game had like a 6.5 for a long time from Kickstarter backers who were angry at it. Yeah. But it's, it's up to an 8.18 now. It is a good game. So <laughs> it got overcome. Uh, Mage Knight at 33 and Viticulture Essential Edition at 32 with Everdell at 31. So all games from like the last five, six years, except for Mage Knight. Sure. Um, Orleans, 30. Lost Ruins of Arnak, 29. Uh, 28 is Root. That one kind of keeps climbing up the list. I, I don't know if it ever got higher than that, but it's it's been up here for a little while now. Mm-hmm. Uh, Arkham Horror, the card game at 27, which I agree with, but again, I just can't get myself to play this thing. Um, <laughs> Terra Mystica at 26, all-time classic. 25 is Wingspan. This was higher at some point, right? Because we were watching this climb. It was right around. I think it might have been as high as twenty. I'm 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 blanking on it because I know that like we've talked about this game for a very long time, and I predicted it would it would pop like this, and it has. But I'm not sure. I think it stalled mm-hmm. a little bit, but it's pretty high for a relatively oh, yeah. new game. Yeah, and part of that too is it has like almost eighty thousand votes. It's one of the higher oh, yeah. voted games on the list. Mm-hmm. Um, Clank Legacy Acquisitions Incorporated. These legacy games do really well because the people who play them play them a lot, and they love them. Yeah, 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 which fair, I get it. I love Pandemic's Legacy Season 1. I gave it a 10, but I haven't played the other ones, so I don't rate them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Therefore, they're not on my list. Uh, Feast for Odin at 23. I think this is the highest rated Rosenberg game. So, mm. you know, just saying. Boo. Just Boo. saying. Just Boo. saying. If we go back to that list, just saying. Take your odd food and get out of here, kid. <laughs> uh, Eclipse Second Dawn for the Galaxy, all the way up to 22 already. It's a 2020 release, but no one could really find it outside of backers until like last year. So, yeah, pretty cool. Uh, Concordia 21, just an all time classic. Sure. Uh, So now we're into the top 20 and this is where things they settle and then some things will surge forward. So Brass Lancashire at 20. Obviously, number one is Birmingham. So both of them in the top 20 is interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, Awakened Realms dropped Nemesis into the top 20 somehow. I know people love it. I just, these big, expansive, expensive Awakened Realms games. I don't know how they do it. <laughs> That's true. Uh, we have Seven Wonders Duel, which I think might be the highest in terms of number of plays on this list. If Terraforming sure. Mars isn't, uh, mm-hmm. at number 18 as in my opinion, the best standalone two player game out there. Castles of Burgundy at number 17. It's been, it's been up there forever. It's our We put it in the essential list in our tier list last week or two weeks ago. Scythe remaining strong in the top 20 at number 16. 
which I'm honestly surprised by. I like Scythe. Mm-hmm. I don't love it anymore. Just I haven't played Fenris. I know. Fenris. Fenris. I gotta play Fenris. <laughs> uh, but it's it's one of those games that like I thought would fall over time because it's been out for almost seven years and it just yeah. has, it's still there. So good for it. Um, we talked about Great Western Trail. It's at 15. I don't know why. Don't know why. I'm sorry yeah. if you love it. I know we bash on it a lot, but why? Why is this game here? Um, Twilight Struggle, another one-time number one game at number 14. Yep. Uh, Through the Ages, a new story of civilization. The updated that- version is higher at number 13, as it should be. Yeah, I think that might have been one, number one at one point, or at least up there. It like was one really or two. close. Yeah. yeah. There's only been <laughs> seven or eight number one games, and I can't remember what they all are. Um, it's like Puerto Rico, uh, Twilight Struggle, Twilight Struggle, Pandemic Legacy, Pandemic Legacy. There's a couple more. Yeah. Um, Dune Imperium has been really high on this list for a long time. Crazy, and when it man. first got this high, I was like, nonsense. That game is not that good. They've since released expansions that I think make it that good. Yes. And so I guess I'm okay with it now. I like it a lot. Number twelve is still really high. So. Yeah, it's really high. I mean, I love Dune, and I and I, I do love the game. I'm just I'm always surprised that's there. Yeah, same. Um, Gaia Project Eleven, which I just it's it's got to be one of those things like people who play it because Terra Mystica is lower rated, but Terra Mystica is the game they keep supporting. Yeah, so like, they crazy more support. Stuff. I don't yeah. understand. I don't. Again, I it's a. Again, in my opinion, in my humble opinion, it's a better game than Terra Mystica, but I don't know why it's here number 11. I don't, again, like you said, maybe like the people who play it love it because they play Terra Mystica, play Gaia Project because they know they love it. Like it's already known that it would yeah. be the, like they agree with us, I guess, in that way. Yeah, it's just weird because they weird, have made man. no new content for Gaia Project despite this love. Yeah. So. Spirit Island at number 10 all-time great cooperative game and they do mm-hmm. keep supporting that and it's got forty-three thousand plays which is crazy considering how heavy it is how niche it is um star wars rebellion and war of the ring second edition are back to back and they have been back to back for a little while and i love it because war of the ring is one above number eight <laughs> yes we we just did this we just did this we with our, our march madness right but I again know. It's, I mean, it's kind of funny too, because like these games are very reflective of our own top 100s. So, yeah. So, no, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And it's the funny thing to me too is like Star Wars Rebellion has almost 11,000 more plays than War of the Ring, second edition. It doesn't get that many plays, but it's so good. And it's been around. I mean, it's been around for quite some time too. So, right. Uh, All right. Number seven is. I mean, it can be here. It's fine, but it annoys me for reasons. Um, Gloomhaven Jaws of the Lion. Nope. Should not be here. Sorry. Because it's just a stripped down version of Gloomhaven. And you know what? Frosthaven will be on this list within six months. And, and it'll it'll like pop. It'll populate within the top 10. And then we'll have three games that are cool. basically the same mechanics in the top 10. <laughs> uh, it's fine. Yeah. And I like Gloomhaven. I just I don't like this. I want diversity so people can find diverse games, not look at it and be like, I guess I have to go buy Gloomhaven because yeah. it's everywhere. And oh, you know what? I actually hate it. <laughs> so there you go. Uh Terraforming Mars at number six. I think this got as high as number three at one point. Mm-hmm. But this top ten is all kind of interchangeable. Number five, Twilight Imperium fourth edition. And you know what it's interesting, like doing this now, I just realized that 
TI3 and War of the Ring First Edition are no longer on this list. They yep. have fallen off. They're probably on page two. So. <laughs> I'm sure. Um, and that TI4, again, is like, if you play it, you love it. If you don't, it's because you don't want to do it. <laughs> so, Yeah, that, that's I think that historically that's been always the thing, which is like the reason why these games are in the, like, the top 10 or even the top 100 is because the game identifies itself in a, in a very explicit way. Like it's meant for this audience and that yeah. audience and only that audience plays it. Like that's been Twilight Struggle. Like you don't have random people just be right. like, "Hey, let's play a two-player game about the political intrigue of the Cold War." Like that's not a thing that happens. Yeah, people <laughs> self-select out of it. So like when people yeah. get all weird, like, "How is this game better than this game?" It's it's not. There's just more people who identify as the type of gamer who would play that game. Yeah. Than the other one. That's all it is. That's, it. that's what this list is, people. It's fine. Um, it's a good list. Yeah, absolutely. The one that does throw me off a little, and it's fine because the game is super hot, but Ark Nova is the kind of game that everybody played, right? Yes. It's it's a a broad appeal Euro. It's heavy, but not so heavy. It's not a Lacerda that people are like overwhelmed by. And it it still gets those high ratings. So it's at number four. I mean, it's it's what I mean, the fact that it's above terraforming Mars Mm -hmm. blows my mind. Yeah, and and I gotta say it's because it's just a little more accessible because of the the deck and because of the artwork and the it's a it's terraforming Martian never I don't know look that's a whole other story <laughs> that's a story for another day but the, the fact that it's number four number four man two thousand twenty one this came out number four I know. yeah it's, like and mid pandemic too like when people weren't even back at the table yet this game came out yeah it's interesting to see if this game might hit number one at some point very soon. It's got a rating that could get it there. It just needs enough people playing it. But yeah, yeah like you said, it's going on Board Game Arena soon. Like it's and it, and then for a time it was on like sale, which I was shocked. It mm-hmm. was like half off a bunch of places too. So I think a lot of people picked it up. Yep, expansion coming out this year too. So crazy. It's it's gonna go. Um, okay, so then the top three, which all three of these games have been number one at some point in the last eight years. Uh-huh. Gloomhaven at three, Pandemic Legacy season one at two, and Brass Birmingham at one. Gloomhaven was number one for almost five years. Um, like we never thought that would change, and of course things change, but mm-hmm. it was up there forever. Yes, and the same thing with Legacy, pa- Pandemic Legacy, which was like we had a I had a heated discussion about should this even be on the list because it's a one and done kind of thing, and it was there for quite some time. It's a great yeah, game, yep. don't get me wrong, but it's just odd. Yeah, that one drove people crazy. (laughs) Yeah. It's tough, too, because I agree with you that it probably shouldn't be there, but I also gave it a 10, and this is the system in which you give it a 10 Ah. and put it up to number one. So So you were responsible for it. I see. I I am. If if I could give it a 10 in a different way, I would. But (laughs) it was a a 10 out of 10 of experience for me. And Brass Birmingham, number one. Is that the the number one game? No. But it is a game that if you play it, if you're the type of person who's going to play a game like Brass, you're going to love this game. Yes. And you're going to give it a good rating. Like, I give it a 9.5. I think it's brilliant. It's in my top 10. Is it the best game on this list? That's a subjective statement, so who knows? But I am surprised to see it so strongly. Like, there are other games that I wouldn't be as surprised as he'd do this. This is a surprising number one not in the fact that it's bad it's in my top 100 somewhere and i can't remember but it did get the kickstarter backing it did get the nice pieces it did get the iron clays to go along with it 
And generally, I, I think, I guess we, we've now discovered more or less that the BGG audience is Eurogamers, I guess, more or less on some level. So it it makes sense that it's there on the number one. So, yeah. you know, it's nice. It's it's it, it kind of like a throwback, f- like at like Puerto Rico. It's just a very mm. good Euro game. You know, it's not TI4. It's not a legacy game. It's not Gloomhaven with its endless campaigns. It's just a good game at the table so yeah surprising. it's yeah it's funny because you look at the top 10 and i would say half of it the games are up there because of the experience of playing them the games are good but the experience really elevates it like a rebellion a war of the ring a twilight sure. imperium a gloomhaven a pandemic legacy season one they're all really well designed but the mm-hmm. experience is what really pushes it to the next level games like brass or arc nova or terrifying mars it's just the game it's just a game, that one shot kind of situation yeah. instead of like massive X number of hours or X number of campaigns, which, again, if you look at, you know, like the top 10, it's Spirit Island is 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 a long kind of campaign game. Depending on how you look at it, Rebellion's a campaign game. War of the Ring, Gloomhaven is that that big. I mean, this is the shrunk down version, but still multiple kind of campaigns. And then Terraform Mars, like you said, Terraform Mars, Arc Nova, Brass, Birmingham are their own little thing. And then TI4, Gloomhaven, and Pandemic are big. They're just big. Yeah. They're big and long. Yeah, they're the kind of games you tell stories about. Like, oh, yes. you won't believe what happened at our table last night. Like, it was crazy. Whereas Brass, you're like, yeah, I won. <laughs> what did you I do? How'd game. you win? I don't know. Someone took my stuff and I won? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I got to go when all the beer was still out, so I used it. It was good. <laughs> Well, top 100 for 2023. Hopefully you get to play all of these games because they're fantastic and they're all the top 100. Until next time, this is Chris. And this is Anthony. And we'll see you all. See you at the table. Take care, everyone.